0: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this beautiful opportunity to gather together in the unity of the faith, Father. Thank you so much for truth that sets us free. Thank you for guiding us to truth. Thank you for giving us our true north and a spiritual compass that continues to pursue it. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your everlasting loving kindness. It's renewed every day, Father. We're so faithless sometimes, but you are so faithful. Father, special prayers go out to Bill and Lois and the family, uh, that you comfort them, that you guide them, and that you give them the space to rejoice in what's about to happen. Beautiful, wonderful, magnificent promotion of one of your own. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your son's work to make an evening like this, and even these thoughts, a reality. Thank you for that assurance. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, tonight is a special that I wasn't aware of. I uh, was up early this morning, uh, did my morning read on the Bible, and come to find out that helped uh, complement some of the things that were coming out. I was listening to Scott's message um, as well. And before I knew it, uh, a whole lesson was constructed that was different, though related, uh, to what I had planned. So... With that said, um, as I was listening to Tuesday's message, something interesting happened to the lesson that I had planned for tonight. It disappeared, basically, and was supplanted by this one, titled, The First Crack in Any Structure. So without further ado, I had some interesting conversations this week with a few people, and um, just take this for what it is, it's just sort of um, a recap or some thoughts from some of the conversations that i've had um, and it's a question mark on purpose relationship issues i mean who doesn't have them right but relationship issues the truth about fractures in your families or with your friends or loved ones is nothing more than the offensiveness of christ even as he becomes increasingly evidenced in you to those offended again the truth about fractures in your families or with your friends or loved ones, is nothing more than the offensiveness of Christ. They see a light in you. They see Christ in you. And Christ is literally known in the Bible as the stumbling block. So, as he becomes increasingly evidenced in you, they are going to be more and more offended by you. Presuming, Galatians 6.9, go there, go to Galatians 6.9. Assuming... Galatians 6, 9. Again, many of you can relate to this. You know, I mean, who doesn't have relationship issues? If it's not, you know, someone in the family, it's someone from outside the family, or if it's an old friend, or, you know, who knows? Maybe it's even someone in the church. I don't know. But the truth about fractures in any of these ways is that it really comes down to Christ. Someone's abiding in Him, so to speak. Someone's living for Christ, and someone isn't. There's a disjointness there. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. So the presumption here is that you are doing good. And that that is offensive to some people. You're going to stand up for truth. You are going to stand up for Christ. And it's going to offend people. And they may be under your own roof from time to time. And they may be Christians. They may be Christian brothers and sisters. But because of their activities or their mouths or um, whatever it is uh, you might be offensive to them because you're standing up with integrity for the word of god let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary so there's encouragement there look at verse 10 so then while we have the opportunity let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. In no uncertain terms, Paul wrote that we ought to focus on our heavenly family, even though we know that we are tempted to grow weary from time to time. The fact is that it is guaranteed that we will suffer for doing what is good. It is guaranteed. If you stand up for Christ, if you do what is good, you will suffer. And some of that suffering may come from within your own home, even. That is the truth that we find in the Word of God. However, we are encouraged. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3.13. 2 Thessalonians 3.13. <clears throat> so the Spirit's just saying, look, don't grow weary. Even in your relationships, be it there... They might be your closest relationships, even. For most of you in here, knowing most of you, your closest relationships, I'm assuming, are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. But we all fail. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. Do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. In other words, do not kowtow to someone else's uh, weaknesses Yet do not regard him as an enemy but admonish him as a brother Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance The Lord be with you all and that's an important lesson So you're not only going to stand up for something you're going to suffer But then at the end he says now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance So while you're doing and following these commands, he's also saying when you do that, you will find peace. So if you read between the lines here, you'll discover what the Spirit said on Sunday. That having your own convictions means you'll have peace. Repeat. Having your own convictions means you'll have peace. True peace, we know, is reserved in increasing doses as you receive more and more faith through humility. The Word says that God is opposed to the arrogant. We know this as well. So there's some wisdom before us right now up here in the board. An arrogant person is more concerned with their own reputation than God's is why the Bible is filled with affronts to the arrogant. For God never elevates the reputation of man over his own reputation. Again, this is just flat-out wisdom, and he's inserting it because we're going to build on it. An arrogant person is more concerned with their own reputation than God's. How dare you challenge me? How dare you stand up? How dare you stand for truth? How dare you say this? How dare you say that? But I love you, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Faithful are the, what? What? Thank you. Of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So, you're doing a good thing when you stand up for Christ. And we're going to get into this. An arrogant person is more concerned with their own reputation than God's. Tis why the Bible is filled with affronts to the arrogant, for God never elevates the reputation of man over his own. In fact, the diligent student of the Word of God quickly realizes that God is terribly opposed to man-made reputations, regardless of the size or social setting. If you want to understand such things, and more importantly, be delivered from them personally, then heed the following wisdom. This came out this past week. I'm summarizing. Stick to the Word of God as the source of all wisdom and knowledge for that is precisely what it is. Conversely, man's natural heart is infinitely evil. So stick to the Word of God. That's why we've been studying the inerrant Word of God. It's supposed to have assured you of your own faith, the, the root system of your own faith, but also the ongoing deliverance, the ability to pick up your Bible and find the answers and say, this is the answer. It's right here in Holy Scripture. I don't have to listen to Oprah. I don't have to listen to my husband. I don't have to listen to my so-called sage friends. I have to just go to the Bible. I have to faithfully, diligently seek the truth. I have to knock and the door will be open. That's what Scripture says. That's what the Word of God says. So we're supposed to stick to the source of all wisdom and knowledge, which is the Word of God. Yet... We're all born with a natural heart that's infinitely evil. Go to Jeremiah 17:9. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. <clears throat> and so is everyone else around us. So we ought not be shocked when people are offensive to the Lord. We ought not be shocked when they're offended by us when we're standing in the light of the Lord. Jeremiah 17:9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's one example of man's sick heart that we contemplated on Sunday up here on the board. This was remember the crux of sunday and even much of tuesday's lesson was that idea of the chinese whisper game and also the idea of certain religious denominations and being labeled etc., etc. refuse religious labels why because they're man-made that's why except one are you or are you not a believer That's the only label that really matters. Are you a believer or are you not a believer? It doesn't matter if you're, you name it. There are thousands of religions, so-called Christian ones, at that. And subdivisions and divisions and subdivisions. Who cares? They usually have nothing good to add to the equation. Usually they're just a cause for one group of people to try to elevate over another. Because they have this little tradition or this doctrine a little bit different than these people do and the next thing you know they're causing divisions and the Bible explicitly says do not cause divisions over stuff like that refuse religious labels except one believer the word and Jesus during his incarnation as well as the early church fathers as we noted spoke of one distinction specifically believers versus unbelievers that is it that's the main distinction, and if you read your Bible faithfully, that's all you see: believers and unbelievers. That's the only distinction I care about at this juncture, <laughs> honest to goodness. Without religious denominations, it's impossible to elevate one religion over another. Think about that. It's not an it's not it's not possible. Do you see? If there, as soon as, and this came out on Tuesday, as soon as you put a name or some kind of categorical tag on something, man says, okay, let's get cracking. The very first thing that we want to do is what? Order it up. Come on. This one's better than this one. Which one's better? Let's put them up. Oh, let's make sure this is nice and level up. Oh, this one's taller. Oh, this one's better. It's the first thing we do. As soon as we categorize each other or organizations even, but if you strip the wretched human heart that we just read, the deceitful thing that it is, if you strip that as even an option, it's impossible. You take it away. And things are pure and simple again, the way that Jesus Christ intended them to be. Jesus Christ had not intended there to be thousands of religions after his name. He said, are you a believer or are you an unbeliever? That's what I'm talking about. Without religious denominations, it's impossible to elevate one religion over another. Sadly, the following is true, though, on the idea of self-righteousness, because that's what it boils down to, creature credit, elevation of self. Most Christians spend their time looking for the, quote, best church rather than, that's supposed to be rather, not father, rather than the best and only truth. That's my argument. That's what I see. Most Christians spend their time looking for the, quote, best church rather than the best and only truth. This is the best. You understand? We're part of a much bigger church than these four walls. That's not obvious yet. We're not supposed to be looking for who's the best church or the best teacher, supposedly, or the best whatever. It's best for us in that moment of time. That's cool to say. But that's about the extent of it. The truth is very simple. For example, go to Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. I think this came out last class as well. Romans 13, verse 8. So what the Spirit's saying is we need to avoid all the trappings of religious categorizations and denominations and what have you. We need to avoid those trappings before we get stuck in it ourselves. Romans 13.8 Owe nothing to anyone except what? To love one another. How about that? How about that for this Christmas season? How about you love one another instead of trying to compare each other, yourselves with others? Instead of that being the default go-to mindset when you enter any given situation, instead of it being about how can you elevate yourself and how can you compare favorably to those around you, How about just love one another? How about that? Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Just in case you're interested. It's a real tragedy that most Christians spend more time competing with each other than encouraging them. Most Christians spend more time competing with each other than encouraging them. Here's what the Bible has to say about such things up here on the board. Fruit bearing evidence. It's impossible to suppose you are living for Christ if you don't love others. How about that? You say you're a Christian. I mean, his name is in the word Christian. You wear t-shirts and paraphernalia and hats and and necklaces and, and what have you. But do you love others? Because that's what he stood for. So it's impossible to suppose that you're living for Christ if you don't love others. I didn't say that. You know who said that? The apostle of love, so to speak, John. If someone says, quote, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I didn't say that. That's John. So this is brass tacks, my friends. It's impossible to say you're living for Christ if you don't love others. You see how divisive, you see what a stumbling block these kinds of statements can be. Some of you maybe in your own souls winced a little bit. I don't know. That's the nature of Christ. He's a stumbling block, especially to our enemies, one that you are saddled with called your flesh. Everything Jesus Christ will ever say is offensive to your flesh. Because your flesh is a self-righteous, self-serving, awful thing. Pfft, love others. I love me. <laughs> I live for me. This world revolves around me. That's the flesh. So just reflecting on this, it's one thing to call a spade a spade. And we're just digging deeper and deeper. I hope you're following along. It sounds like he's sort of adding disjoint things, but he's not. It'll it'll pull together soon enough. It's one thing to call a spade a spade, calling out wrong things, along with right things, that we witness. However, such discernment is never a license for condemning others. The Bible tells us that we do actually have the God-given right to judge righteously. I've written on this, I've taught on this, you know, uh, Satan has sort of hijacked uh, the word judge. You know, don't judge me. It's like, no, I get to judge righteously. As long as I'm discerning correctly through the lens of the Word of God, I can judge. It's not my job to bless or curse you. It's not my business. That's God's business. But I can certainly recognize good and I can recognize evil. And if you're one or the other, I certainly get to say, that's one and that's the other. And I don't have a problem with that. It's not my job to say you're going to burn in hell because of it or you're going to be disciplined this way or that way because of it or you're going to be blessed this way or that way because of it. Unless it's explicitly stated in the Word of God, of course. Go to Romans 12, 17. <clears throat> Romans 12, 17. So the Spirit's working on something here and I hope you just keep, just keep gathering the uh, pieces of this evening's message Romans twelve seventeen. what does it say? It says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. How are you going to do that if you're constantly pointing fingers at people and trying to condemn them in this kind of a thing? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. What is good? What have we been studying? (laughs) Who gets to define what is good? What have we been studying? You're supposed to overcome evil with the answers to what we're studying. As the Spirit's been reminding us, the, quote, church, capital C, is not a building. For if it were, maybe we'd have something to boast about. It's a nice enough place, right? I mean, I'm a pretty swell guy. You're pretty swell people. (laughs) Right? I mean, I suppose we got but it's not. So what are we doing? What are we doing? We're not supposed to compare and contrast, that's for sure. It isn't that at all. Regarding the church proper, here's what the Bible has to say up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, a reference to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Everyone. Everyone that calls on the Lord. Everyone that's saved and sanctified. They're part of the church. Don't you want to be... I mean, look where Bill's going. He gets to go hang out with everybody that's been in the church. Think about that. That's awesome. And they certainly didn't come through these doors. I didn't see them. <laughs> How cool is that? There's not going to be churches, like church buildings, separate ones, in heaven. So I was reflecting on this as well. We're getting a little deeper. almost getting there. This is where I realized the Spirit was overhauling my plans for tonight's message. That was going to be probably about the end of the review. Because there's just too much to say. And I didn't want to leave a dangling thread. So we're going to spend the next portion of the remainder of this evening not just asking you to ponder the church proper as a whole, but some other things. In particular, also the capital C church in a certain microcosm. And I hope you know what that means. It means is the whole church. And then there's pockets of the church, just like this one. I mean, this is still the church, right? It's not all of it, but we're members of the church. And so we can look at ourselves. And then there's even smaller microcosms called the home. First, let's grab the overarching principle appear on the board perverting the church the first crack in any structure is always the hardest in other words we have to stand so fast and so firm in our faith as to not let that first crack even happen i was thinking about that that's that's what satan's trying to do all the time get a major crack going and the rest of the edifice crumbles the first crack in any structure is always the hardest however once a crack exists given the newly weakened state of the structure all future cracks are increasingly easy to form and that's how if you remember those timelines do you remember there were some major cracks Once the church divided, around 1054, and then later on, right? But that major one, that schism, and left everything that was traditional, not traditional, everything that was right, say, around the first few hundred years, behind. And all of a sudden, you have this schism. And then after that, it was hundreds and thousands. Once you had that crack in the church, Satan was licking his chops, saying... Great! this is exactly what I wanted. Now I can get them to go against them. Do you see? And since the pattern is now set, now I can get people on each to even fork even more because that's the pattern. And then once it becomes commonplace, like certain things of in our own country, once something becomes normalized, everybody's fracturing in every simple direction. Well, the heck with this guy. I don't like him anymore. Let's, let's start our own church. And call it the XYZ church. And we'll pervert the church even more. And we'll separate, we'll become separatists. In the, in the sense, or in light of the church. But this is not what the Spirit's talking about this evening, as you'll see this concept on the board is not only a big-picture church issue. I showed you that on Sunday, and Scott reiterated it on Tuesday. So we can't just point at church history and judge them in the absence of judging ourselves rightly upon the same standard. For example, if you are a husband... You are held uniquely responsible for the welfare of your home. If you are the one causing cracks, what do you expect from those under your charge? You're supposed to be the one in charge. You're supposed to be the one leading the family. If you are supposed to be the pillar of strength in your home and you are failing, what do you expect from others? If you are refusing to take responsibility in your home, you are failing. I didn't say that. That's the Word of God. If you disagree with anything that's coming from this pulpit, maybe you need to read your Bible. Now, if that means you have to have some really difficult conversations with specific members, even, of your family, then you know what? Do it. Do it. If you are failing and your wife says something like, you know, I think you might be out of line here based on the Bible then listen to the one whom God designed to be your helper. Women are not pincushions. They're not lap dogs. They're helpers. Listen to your helper. If she's a godly woman, listen to her. The point is that fractures in the church on only seen on a timeline like I presented? What about your own home's timeline? Do you ever wonder about that? What about your own home's timeline? Are there fractures that you personally have caused? If the answer is yes, and it often is, then pray to God for guidance on how to rectify the situation before your entire home blows apart. Ask yourselves right now why so many Christians get divorced. How can that be? It's because there are too many fractures. In the home's timeline, Everybody likes to throw stones. Oh, well, so-and-so screwed up, and this guy, and that guy. No, how about in your own home? You know, as the home goes, so goes so many other things. And on the topic of cracks in the family, I speak from personal experience and conviction. <laughs> I'm not talking down to you. I'm, just, I'm being transparent there. See? I'm upsetting people. <laughs> um... Can you guys make sure that door's closed back there? Somebody, Monica, please. Just make sure the door to my office is closed. Either that, or that kid's got some lungs. All right. Ask yourselves right now why so many Christians get divorced. It's because there are too many fractures. And on the topic of cracks in the family, again, I'm speaking from personal conviction. Well over 90% of the time, there have been major fractures in my home. And I don't have to tell you this. I'm telling you this so you know that I'm not some schmuck up here trying to condemn you artificially. Well over 90% of the time, there have been major fractures in my home. I am the one who could have stopped it before it came an issue. Even if it's not me personally who's sinning or being arrogant and failing, if I get lazy turning a blind eye to things I know are fundamentally wrong in my home, then you know what? Eventually those things blister and are terrible sore spots for everyone under my roof and I'm responsible so says the Lord and until I step up like the man I'm supposed to be for Christ's sake then said blistering will continue to spread and before I know it my family is suffering while it's uncomfortable to pop blisters The end result is that the healing process begins. For some of you husbands and fathers out there, you need to do as Paul wrote up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. There's enough wimpy men out there. Enough men out there not taking care of business in the home. Don't add to the numbers. That means a good long look in the mirror, first of all, and then a biblically sound judgment on the state of your family affairs. Is your wife a cause for fracturing, or are you the culprit? Both are possible scenarios, but it actually takes some time. How about your kids? Have you been defunct in nurturing them, in loving them? in disciplining them? Has your wife gotten in the way of doing such things? The Bible says unequivocally that she hasn't the right to stand between the righteous hand of God working through you for Christ's sake. Same goes with finances. Some of you men have no idea what's going on in the house financially even. Case in point. Separate autonomous bank accounts between husband and wife. Why would you ever do such a thing? Doesn't make any biblical sense. Are you hiding something? You are a corporation, remember that. If you are in a marriage, you are a corporation, not two individuals living separate lives. You are individuals, but you are a corporation. And if you're the head of the household, then you're the head of the household, period. When it comes to finances, and this isn't my business. You can do whatever you got to do. That's, I'm just teaching the word of God here. When it comes to finances and such activities, it sounds like the source of all kinds of potential evil. And therefore, fracturing in the family. Or how about giving to the ministries that feed you? For example, this one. How about that? Are you supporting God's work in your soul? Or are you defunct? And whose responsibility is that? At the end of the day, the head of the household. Is your family supporting The ministry that you're supposed to support? Or how about prayer and worship in your home? Does it even exist? Where in the word of God does it say a kid living under your roof has the right to refuse righteous training in Holy Scripture? You know, just the opposite is true. It is your responsibility as a parent with the ultimate yoke placed around the husband and father's neck. It's your responsibility before God to raise up your children in the faith. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about it, and this includes my own kids, obviously. I've never met a child that hasn't dragged their feet on occasion when, you know, going to church. Never. Sometimes I have to drag myself to church, frankly. You guys are like, what? Yeah, and I have to stand behind the pulpit. You don't think there's times I don't want to be here? Are you serious? And I'm a child, ain't I? I've actually had seemingly doting parents tell me that they don't force their kids to come to church with them because they are teenagers and can make their own choices about it. Yet these same parents, check this out, you ready? This is the, this is the kicker. Yet these same parents force their kids on the school bus every day. So I ask you which education is more important in God's eyes? This kind of stuff is the reason most families are in shambles nowadays. And I blame the men. 90 plus percent of the time it's them because they got no gumption. Euphemism. They're not they don't care about what the word of God says they need to be as leaders. That's why, men, if you're not ready to lead a family, don't get married. And don't make the ridiculous... Don't milk the cow before you buy it. This is the reason why families are in shambles. If it's your job to raise your kids in the faith, and God has led your family you being the head of the family, to say a local assembly like this one, then guess what? It's your responsibility to put your ever loving foot up your beloved kid's rear end and say, you know what? You're into my house and as for me and my family, we serve the Lord, get in the car. That conversation would happen. How many times would that happen? Sean, Joey, feel free. How many times would that happened in my roof? Maybe once, if they even dared. I don't care how big Joey is now. If he was that size in my house, I'd be riding him out to the car. (laughs) I would saddle him up. and It'd be the end of it. (laughs) You know what I'm getting at? Be men. Stand up. Stand firm. Stop your yapping. Do it. It's your responsibility last time I checked. Don't believe me? Then show me Holy Scripture that says otherwise. And I'll teach that instead. In the meantime, though, let me give you some of God's word on this subject. Go to Ephesians 6.1. Ephesians 6.1. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, what's that word? Children. Oh, obey. Hey, I got the children part, Leo. <laughs> Come on, man. thought we were past that. <laughs> children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's a command, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Nonetheless, I taught that in the past so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Does the Bible say beat your kids into submission? No, it does not. But it says discipline them. And it also says, raise them up in the word. How are you going to do all that if you can't get them off their smartphone or their iPad or video games? Or God forbid, away from that agent of the kingdom of darkness, their boyfriend or girlfriend. How are you going to do that if you allow that? If you put up with it, if you tolerate it, how are you going to get their attention how are you going to get him in the car? And just to reiterate here, I'm not judging anyone. I've failed as a parent just like the rest of you. So don't take this as some personal assault on you or your family. And I shouldn't have to say this, but I, the Spirit says I have to. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. Some of you are probably convicted, and you're like, oh, what's he, oh, man, you know, he's talking about me. The only two people I've mentioned are my own kids, and myself, and by implication, my wife. I'm not thinking of anyone in here. So don't do like some idiots do and accuse me of intruding on your life. Trust me on this. I'm not interested. My life is interesting enough. Thank you very much. One last passage on the topic of the point on the board, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Again, here's the principle that precipitated this little sidebar, perverting the church. The first crack in any structure is always the hardest. However, once a crack exists, given the newly weakened state of the structure, all future cracks are increasingly easy to form. So if you didn't catch the strong hint from God the Holy Spirit in the last 20 minutes let me help you along some more men you hear me men you have a God-given responsibility to those under your charge be it your wife or your children your responsibility is not just to order them around You have a responsibility to look after them, to care for them, to care about their spiritual welfare above all other things. If you are not the spiritual leader in your family, you are failing. If your wife has to treat you like a child and drag you to church on a regular basis, you're failing. If your wife has to constantly tell you, hey, let's pray together as a family. Or let's read our Bibles. Or let's talk about this scripture or that scripture. what do you think about the blog? And your answer is, well, I haven't read it yet. And that's consistently your answer? You are failing. You are supposed to be the leader of that family. Not the follower, not the child. So men... You have a God-given responsibility to those under your charge, be it your wife or your children, or in the case of a woman, your children, if you have any. And here's a balance statement for you. Do not think you're something special just because you decide to do any of what the Spirit's been highlighting here this evening. I always get a kick out of that. Oh, I finally confronted my wife for being a nag, I'm just, I don't know, maybe that's not a good example. Some of like these like, could you pick a better example? You know what I'm saying? You were supposed to do that like months ago. That's what you're supposed to do all the time. You're supposed to have your family in control, not a control freak, but under control. And think of the highly elevated requirements on this office that's supposed to be your example. I'm not perfect. I don't always have my family under control, but for the most part it is. Why? Because God knows what's best. And he said, I formed marriage and I formed family as institutions. And I I don't want them to, to blow apart, you see. I formed them so that things would work the way I want them to work. And I put the man in charge. And that's the divinely ordained authority structure, the chain of command at the very high end of that microcosm of the church is the guy, is the man. So men, do not think you're something special just because you decide to do any of what the Spirit's been highlighting here this evening. And it doesn't mean once in a while. This is a consistent thing. These are all things that you're supposed to be doing. I know that's a big word, but that's, the, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Christ's team, if we're a team, doesn't have a banquet at the end of every season that hands out participation trophies to people who sat on the bench or hardly showed up with a good attitude during practices. There's a lot of men that do that. they just... Barely show up and barely put in any effort whatsoever. And yet they're supposed to be the team captain. How are you going to rally the troops if you're the team captain and you're on the couch? Spirit, I mean, fig, figuratively and literally all the time. Trophies in the spiritual life are equivalent to blessings in time. As God promises, you reap what you sow. Up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's not Pastor Ed, that's the Word of God. That's the Word of God. And remember, God is never mocked. You might say, you know, I've been living this slack way for years now. And God's done really nothing to me. Oh, you want to mock God, do you? Well, good luck with that. But don't tell you, don't come crying to me when he smashes you down. Or when you finally look in the mirror and say, you know why I'm a miserable crank? You know my life sucks? It's because of me. Because of the decisions I made. Because of mocking God along the way. Not in refusing my responsibilities, whatever they may be, whether you're the husband or the wife or your responsibility as a child to obey your parents, whatever they may be. God is not mocked, ever. And specifically, regarding tonight's message, we need to sow bountifully in the church, beginning with the microcosm of the church that exists in our homes. Beginning there. These are sobering things for all of us to think about. And as the Spirit just mentioned, we are not to pat ourselves, or others even, on the back for merely doing what we are supposed to be doing. That is a trap. That is a trap. I wrote a blog on that probably, I don't even know, four or five years ago now, where if you just keep lowering lowering the bar... You just keep lowering it. People just breathe and they're doing something. (gasps) Look at that. Honey, did you see it? I breathed. The bar gets so low. (laughs) It's like you're supposed to breathe. You're supposed to work hard for the family. You're supposed to take care of business in the house. You're supposed to discipline the children. You're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to do these things, you dummy. That's the point. You're supposed to be doing it. And now you want a reward? You want a banquet? You want a participation trophy? (laughs) You want to take a selfie with it? (laughs) Up here on the board. The dutiful slave. We are not to commend ourselves for fulfilling our duties and responsibilities. This is what you're supposed to do. In fact, we are remiss if we passively exist as a member of the body of Christ. Misappropriating our time and energy meant for others to ourselves. Redirecting it, in other words. Man's a perfect example. He's supposed to take care of others. You're supposed to, as a fundamental rule to Christianity, you're supposed to esteem others as more important than yourselves. If you see a member of your family out of whack and needs a little adjustment... Or needs maybe, how about this, a little encouragement once in a while. But you're too stinking lazy, let's say. That you want to just keep focusing on yourself. What do you want me to say? That's misappropriating your time and energy. It's supposed to be meant for others. And you just hog it for yourself. And then you expect everybody else to cater to you too. you get what I'm getting at? You're basically a big sucking sound, a big vortex over near the couch. You ever notice why people walk around you like this? I'm just kidding, guys. Everybody's like, oh how do you know? <laughs> Go to Luke seventeen seven. Luke seventeen seven. So if you don't believe me, let's. Look at what the Word of God has to say about participation trophies. Luke 17, 7. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But he will not say to him, Oh, uh, will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. Do you understand what that just described in verse 8? That's called prioritization. That means take care of your responsibilities first. And if your master, who is the perfect master, the one whose mind we read every time we read the Bible, if your master says do this or that, that's your priority, not you. Not Not your beeline to the couch with the brewski. Your priority is what the Lord says your priority is. And if you're married, then it's first your wife and the family. If you're married with kids, then it's everybody. Then you can take your trip to the couch. But you need to take care of your responsibilities first. That's what he's saying. You can eat after you're done with the responsibilities that I've given you. And you know what? The the master, it's wonderful because they're right here. (laughs) It's awesome. If you ever forget, you just open up your Bible. Some of you are like, that's why I don't open up my Bible. (laughs) Because every time I read it, I'm convicted. And I've got to get off the couch and actually serve my family. Verse 9. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? That would be foolish. That's what you're supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to, what, thank you every time you do what you're supposed to do? Am I supposed to Thank Sean for making his bed every morning? Not that he does. You do. I think he does. He's sloppy like me. But am I supposed to thank him every morning because he does something he's supposed to do? No, I mean, we'd never get out the door. Verse 10. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That's your attitude. So the balance statement to all this is don't start doing something and then when the Lord God doesn't say to you, oh, good job, boy! Every time you do something that's commanded of you to do, don't expect to be patted on the back by the grace of God. You're supposed to be doing that already. You see, the problem was your bar was set too low. And when the bar is set too low in a family, what happens is Fracture, fracture, fracture. Because when the bar is set that low, it means you're not doing and fulfilling your duties and taking your responsibilities for real. Which means your eyes aren't open. Do you understand? And you're missing critical moments in time as a husband or a father. So the point of the board... We are not to commend ourselves for fulfilling our duties or responsibilities. If we do, the implication is that we don't really have to do it because it got special praise. It must have been above and beyond what I'm supposed to do, right? But it's not. It's only above and beyond if your bar is down here. But if your bar is appropriately set, most of the time what you find is you're below. That's what I find. Because who's perfect? In fact, we are remiss if we passively exist as a member of the body of Christ. Now take these principles that he's just outlined in the micro cause and cause the family and apply them to the church proper even. The larger organism, if you would. If we are passively existing as a member of the body of Christ, misappropriating our time and energy meant for others to ourselves, we are remiss. We are not fulfilling our duties. And duty is a big word in the Bible. And by the way, I not only challenge you to find Holy Scripture that contradicts tonight's lesson. Not only do I challenge you, I wholeheartedly encourage it. You know why? Because if you take the challenge, you're going to be forced to be convicted by the truth that's in the Word of God. See, I'm crafty like that, huh? Tricky. You think you're gonna get me? But it ain't even about me. <laughs> and you're gonna go in the Word of God, get him Jew. He talks about me like, he no, he's talking about me. Oh no, it's true. <laughs> right? That's why do you think on Tuesday we looked at Holy Scripture and we noted the Berean example up here on the board in Acts 17:11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They took it upon themselves to, guess what, receive their own conviction to pursue truth in the word of God, to seek diligently, not to take Chinese whispers, This too is something you are commanded to do, by the way. So this too isn't something you should be boasting about. You don't read your Bible and go, oh honey, did you just did you see me? I read my Bible. I read a whole column. Let's celebrate! You're supposed to. <laughs> what are we doing here? right? I mean the bar is pretty low if you're celebrating that, right? So this isn't something you should be boasting about either. Just because you're a let's call you a recovering addict, someone addicted to the world. say you're a, just because you're a recovering addict, it doesn't mean when you begin to live the life of Christ, or the life that Christ died for, that somehow you ought to be commended. So in closing, I'd ask each of you to think long and hard about tonight's lesson. And think about what the Spirit's driving at here. I know it was a very serious, quote, conversation between you and the Lord. And that's a good thing. But think about what He's trying to say to you personally. Some of you men need to really think about your position, your calling in life. Maybe you're a husband, maybe you're a father, maybe you're both. Maybe you're these things. Well, if you're a father, you should be a husband. But. Or if you're a woman, what is the Spirit trying to say to you? He's saying don't give Satan the opportunity. Don't allow these fractures to happen even in the microcosm called your home. On a bigger scale, from a shepherd's perspective, he's trying to heal the church, capital C. That's what he's doing. Our church is a mess. It's infiltrated, it's infected, it's diseased. It's a mess. People are all messed up. Why? Fractures. These same people... They, can't even, they don't even know how to contain their own homes. They don't even know how to keep a marriage together. They don't know how to keep their kids in line. They don't know how to do anything. And then it just percolates up as a collective into the church proper, and it's a complete mess. So the, the Spirit's really trying, He's going down to the grassroots level here with us. And He's saying, before you even look at timelines, at any length. I want you to use that principle and apply it to your own home, because your home has members of the church in it. And if this is all fractured to bits and pieces, what's the larger? I mean, if you've got a bunch of broken Legos, how are you going to build a battleship, right? Seriously, isn't it, isn't the battleship never going to be made? Isn't it just going to, as soon as you put it up on the shelf, it's going to, it's going to disintegrate? So it's really important that each individual construct, each individual lego, each family, each microcosm is also uh, in check, has integrity, structural integrity, to bring to the church. So you can see why the Spirit is doing what he's doing here this evening. And I need an extra five minutes. The guys, like, oh God. He's trying to heal the church. That's all I can tell you. But the healing can never happen if we don't start in our own homes. I'd like to share some of the lyrics from one of my favorite Christian songs. It's called um, Till the Day I Die by Toby Mac. And it's featuring this young rapper, Christian rapper guy called N.F., N.F., the initials. Now, you're going to have to get by the lyrics because it's goofy. You know how rappers are, right? And this is like verbatim. So you're going to be like, that's not proper grammar or English. He says, till the day I die, they put me in the coffin. Don't matter if I'm on the road or if I'm recording. Tell me what you think about me. That really ain't important. You know, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> a representing. I ain't playing. Can't afford to. I only got one life, and I get it, I get it. and then he says, though that's a rap thing. And this is not an act, not a movie, not a TV show. I don't know what quitting means. I don't ever take it slow. You know I'm on the grind, me and Toby in the studio. Do it for the king, what you know about that. Say you're going harder, I doubt that. You say you're doing work, but you're asking where the couch at. How are you doing work when you're asking where the couch at? God is not a crutch you can use Him when you want to. You only look to heaven when you're going through some drama and when they're going through some problems, and that's the only time they call Him. I guess I don't understand that life. Wonder why, because I'm all in till the day I die. In the spirit of our primary course of study, what is good? Let us receive good wisdom from tonight's lesson. And to borrow from Tuesday's, this is my last principle, I swear, the perfect measurements. May our measurements in life, the things we count as good, for example, always be measured against the word of God, which is never wrong or inaccurate that concludes our special message, the first crack in any structure. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word here this evening. We just ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.